This morning, we will be in the book of Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of God for the people of God. I want to start this morning by going to the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, as we go and look at this text this morning we need your help we want to understand we are your children and we want to learn your ways and what you want holy spirit i pray that this morning that you would speak that you would give us understanding that you would give us knowledge And that you would give us strength to carry out what we hear. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. It's your name we pray. Amen. It would be easy to read verse 8 at face value and and move on. And I don't want to do that. Um, It would also be easy to pick apart every single little bit of verse 8, which is not a bad thing, and I've already done that. But that's not what I want to do this morning. What I want to do this morning with verse 8 is to keep the surfaced integrity, the powerful use of Paul's writing, and pretty much just boost it with the power of the context of the letter. The main theme running through the whole letter of Flip to the Philippians is the theme of joy, and it's not a nonchalant joy. A smiling when you don't feel like smiling joy. Uh, That's not a joy at all. Now, the joy that Paul has and wants us to have is a joy when. See, Philippians is such a short letter that you can read it start to finish in about 10 minutes. And when you read it start to finish you will see Paul having joy when he prays. When he is in prison. When he is treated wrongly by other believers. When he writes about their friendships. When he writes about dying. When he writes about living. When he writes about church unity. When he writes about Christ and Christ's sacrifice. When he writes about the possibility of him being murdered when he recalls his conversion and how far he's come and how far God has brought him. What Paul is doing in this letter is giving us a counterculture view of joy, an alien view of joy, a different way for us to see trials and pain when they come to us. Because they will come to us. If we're doing it right, we are going to have trials and pain. 
And Paul gives us no doubt that our joy when is a gift from Almighty God. Paul is very clear in all of his letters about who holds the power in our lives. In fact, the previous verse, he explained the peace that we get as being something that we can't can't even comprehend, surpasses all the knowledge that we have. And so we can't even comprehend that peace. How are we going to give that peace to ourselves? We cannot. And so this is one thing that we need to do this morning as we are studying this text. We need to keep this in our mind. God alone supplies everything we need for peace and joy. God alone supplies everything we need for peace and joy. Now that we understand where our help comes from, let's look at the proactive steps that we should take. Paul says that there are actions that we as believers should be doing. In this morning's text, those actions are think, look, and do. If you're writing down this morning, write these down. Think, look, and do. Let's look at the first one, think. So unlike uh, other religions, meditation and secular meditation, which requires an emptying of your mind to free your mind, to empty it, clear it. A biblical meditation is a filling up of our mind with the truths and the goodness of God's word. So it is actually putting more into our mind, thinking, committing our thoughts to the word of God, meditating on the scripture. Let me use an example. If we're thinking about music in the service, in the church service, and you see somebody who is fully engaged in worship, it would appear on the outside that they are completely mindless, that they are completely emptied, and that they're in some sort of trance if you're looking at somebody uh, uh, engaged in worship. But if you have been engaged in worship, if you have worshiped God and spirit and the truth, you know it is much different inside the head. Inside our heads, it is much different than just a clearing out in the mindless. It is an overflowing of goodness and truth and peace. When we worship, we take it all in and we get knowledge about who God is and what He does. And it compels us to worship. And sometimes it compels us to cry. Sometimes it compels us to dance. Sometimes it just compels us to be quiet, still. It's a response to the knowledge that we are gaining of God, of the goodness of God. So the point is, is that when we worship, we fill our mind. When we meditate on the scripture, we fill our mind with the goodness and the truths about God. And so in verse 8 here, Paul is telling us, to fill our mind. Philippians 4 verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we sometimes forget 
the importance of thinking. Our current climate on social media is less thinking, more response. Less knowledge, more reaction. Our current news that we consume is pretty much just headlines. Using our minds to think, using our minds to think things through and to find the truth is pretty much discouraged everywhere we looked, everywhere we look. But Paul is telling us that it is important to use our minds. And Paul is telling us that it is important what we use our minds for. He says in Romans that using your mind to discern is so important that it keeps us from conforming into what the world wants us to be instead of conforming to God. Let's read Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This first leads me to think if we do not use our minds and if we do not test, we are in danger. Danger of being corrupted and deceived by this world in the father of lies, which is the devil. And make no mistake, we are in a battle over our minds. It would appear that today we are losing that battle. It would seem on the outside that the devil is at an advantage. He has social media to do his bidding with misinformation and lies and gossip. He has Hollywood to make it look really attractive with really attractive people. He has amazing music with the sounds and the beautiful art to draw us in. For those who want to be in the know and uh, with what's going on in the world, he has the news outlets who just keep us divided every step of the way. And we love it. We buy into it. I do. You do. And we're addicted to this, this, this intake. It would seem that the devil has us at an advantage that there's no way out. And I know that sometimes for me it feels that way. I feel like it's a vicious circle and there is no way out from this uh, constant lies that we are fed, that we go to. It would seem that he is winning, but that's not the truth because we have the word of God. Our strength is, is in our hope, in Christ, in the word that we have. This is our hope, the word of God. And this is our power, the living word of God, of the living God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So we are, we are in a full-fledged war with sin in the world. We cannot let our guard down. We are in danger of conforming our minds to the world when we are not focused 
on the word of God and the goodness of God all around us. This is why verse 8 is so important to understand and to put into application in our lives. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul is calling us to fix our thoughts on the goodness of God. Paul is telling us to think. Paul is telling us to study God's word. When we apply what we have seen in verse 8 in Paul and what we have seen in all of his letters, we see that this is just so much more than just an antidote for a troubled situation. It is so much more than just a band-aid to fix our minds to stop the bleeding. This is a verse that is, is kind of like a daily vitamin. It's a habit to be formed, a goal to be worked toward. If we aren't proactive in our thoughts, if we aren't praying for God's strength and intervention in our minds, if we aren't using the word of God as sort of a field manual to train our minds every day, if we are not focusing on the goodness of God, then we will fall into our human sin nature. We will have the opposite of peace and joy. Let me change verse 8. Uh, to our default sin nature. This is fake Philippians 4.8. Not the real thing, obviously. But finally, brothers, whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is not lovely, whatever is reprehensible, if there is anything mediocre, if there is anything unworthy of praise, think about these things. So no one in their right mind would say that what I read is something we should do. But that's what we do. It looks silly when we read it that way, doesn't it? But that's what we do. When we don't make the real verse 8 a priority, when we don't make the real verse 8 a habit, our default habits of loving sin and setting our minds on the wrong things will remain. That's what we fall back on. That's our normal when we don't make verse 8 our habit, our daily vitamin. We need to proactively set our minds on the goodness of God. And it's a battle. It's hard and it's hard to be disciplined. I am a failure at doing this. And don't let anybody tell you that it isn't hard and that it's easy to be disciplined in this area because it's not. That's why we need the Lord. That's why we need His strength because it's not easy and we can't do it on our own. So when we are caught up in negative thinking and filling our minds with the garbage that we fill our minds with every single day all day long, when we're filling it with the things of the world instead of the things of God, how do we break free? Yeah, sure, it's, it's nice to know that this is our problem, but how do we fix our problem? 
of this vicious cycle of consuming the things of this world instead of the things of God. And I think the answer is found in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And Paul is straightforward in this verse. He wants us to look at him, look at the things that he has done, listen to the things that he has said. And there's not a confusion on this verse. It's pretty straightforward. But there is something here that I believe Paul wants us to see that will help us grab onto this as, as a necessity and not just a command. That's number two, look. We need to change the content of what we are looking at. We need to change the content of what we are looking at. Like verse, says, verse eight says, but we also need to change who we are looking at. And I want you to think this morning as you're sitting there and I can't see you right now, but I want you to take a second to think. Do you have someone you look up to as an example who points you to Christ? I want you to think of them specifically by name right now. If you don't have that, if you have it, if you don't have it, I want you to think of that. Do you have at least one person who you look to that will tell you the truth? Who encourages you to look to Christ? That won't just be a yes man. Who will call you on your garbage and give you godly advice. That won't just be a mirror of your own thoughts or an echo of your own thoughts because Paul is telling us here that we need examples there's no lone ranger Christian here it's we need to follow examples and it's not just for the baby Christians whatever mile marker you are on your race It's for the people who are just starting out the race and for the people who are almost to the finish line. We need examples to break us free from the echo chambers of our lives. We need great godly examples and people that have been through things that we have not been through yet. Paul is not just telling us to look to somebody at a distance either. He's not just saying to look at some examples. He's asking us to go a step further in this verse. He's not just telling us to look. He is telling us to do the third and final point, which is do. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I like what the NIV says here. It says, put into practice. Or like I say, do what I do. Philippians 3, 17 says, Brothers, join in, in imitating me. Imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And Paul's not just saying imitate me because he's prideful or he's arrogant. He understands that we learn by watching and hearing. The apprentices learn by mimicking their master. Paul was 100% sure that what we need to do is follow his example of being humble, kind, selfish, selfish, selfless, and bold. Why, why was he so sure? Was he just making it up as he went? Was he thinking, well, this is something good. Uh, I'll do this and I'll tell them to follow me in this. Absolutely not. So if Paul wasn't just making it up as he went, how did he know what to do? And how did he know that it was the right thing to do? Well, Paul learned and he received and he heard and he put into practice. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1 says this, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We need to mimic those who are mimicking Christ. Without examples to mimic and without the word of God, we are constantly losing track of the direction of the finish line. Without examples in practice, we are turning on every single side street that's a wrong dead end. Instead of following those who are running ahead of us, who know the way, Yes, Christ is our ultimate example. And in order to keep our eyes on him, he gives us leaders as examples. He gives us leaders on examples of how fast we need to be running, what pace we need to have. He gives us leaders to cheer us on and encourage us and to help us when we stumble. And then, before you know it, in turn, we are able to be leaders to those who are behind us, having trouble. And we've been there before, and we can encourage them. And we can pass on biblical wisdom to others who have lost their step. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9 are practical ways for us as believers to live in joy and peace. But the practical steps in verse 8 and 9 will not bring you joy and peace. They will not create joy and peace. Only Jesus Christ can bring you peace. If you are not saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, you are incapable of peace. If you have not been born again, then you are at war with God. No positive thinking, no example following will give you peace that surpasses all understanding. If you are not born again, you are helpless, incapable of ever achieving righteousness unless you want righteousness. Do you want peace? Do you want joy? Do you want to have a joy like Paul had? A joy when? 
a joy that's not dependent on your situations, then you need to stop. You need to stop working. You stop running. You stop fighting. You need to confess your sin to God and ask Jesus to make you new. Make you completely new, completely righteous in the sight of Almighty God. This is what happens when you are born again. The sin in your life, the horrible sin, is replaced by the beautiful, white, clean righteousness of Jesus. It's a trade. And this trade is not something that you can do. This is not something that you have earned. This is a gift. This is 100% God. This is 100% paid for. This is 100% finished work of Christ on the cross. But you can't have both. You can't be riddled with sin and be righteous. You have to trade your old life for a brand new one. War with God for peace with God. Then and only then will you be able to have peace and joy in your life. Pray with me. God, we need help on our journey. We need help to set our eyes on the goodness of you in your word and in the world around us. Give us that strength. We desire that as your children. Give us wisdom. Give us knowledge. And give us strength. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.